Uh, please turn with me now to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. Luke 22:31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you are not a silent God, but one who speaks to us. And Lord Jesus Christ, even on the eve of his departure, was speaking to his own beloved disciples, telling them that which they needed to know. And indeed, in this case, pulling back the curtain of that which happens in the unseen realm in order that he might bless his people and increase their faith. Well, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do so again with us today. That, Lord, we would know something that of that goes on in this spiritual warfare, in this unseen realm. But we would know something more about Christ and his intercession for us. And indeed, Lord, that we might benefit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We uh, continue on in Luke chapter 22, and as a basic outline, um, there is much going on in this chapter, and as a basic outline thus far, the chapter has told us of the preparations made, they were wonderfully providential, they were wonderfully complete, these preparations for the Passover, then of Jesus holding this last Passover, which was also the first Lord's Supper, then the departure of this traitor Judas, And finally, most recently, the disciples disputing about who would be the greatest. Very sad demonstration of the sinfulness of these disciples. And now Jesus has a word for Simon Peter. Judas has departed. Satan has entered into him. He is a betrayer. And now he has a word for Simon Peter. And the word is this. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He's apparently already received Judas, now he's asking for Peter. To say the obvious, Satan is at work here. But friends, again, he has been at work throughout all of this gospel. It would seem to be a particular theme of the gospel of Luke, of this, this warfare between Satan and, and the Lord. This activity is, is one of the things that is brought to our, our attention in it. And so it is, really. It's a theme of all of Scripture. This larger picture of the warfare between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, that is the great story of Scripture. And we need to be reminded of it. And so the Lord has done that. Now, the particular object in this case... What is Satan hoping to achieve in this particular case as he's asking for Peter? Well, it's important for us to understand. 
what Satan's objective is, but even far, far more so the Lord's objective in letting him do this. It is crucial that we understand the good ends, yes, the wicked ends that Satan has to do such things, but also the good and right and beneficial ends that the Lord has in permitting such things to be. It will be important for us to know that. And even more so than learning about Satan, it's necessary. More so than learning about Satan, we also want to learn about Christ and his intercession. Satan is making these accusations and telling these lies. The Lord Jesus Christ is making his intercession for us. And we need to know that. Well, the title this morning is Peter's Sifting. Peter's Sifting. And there are three points. Satan's request, Christ's request, and Peter's boast. First of all, Satan's request. In verse 31 it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan has made a particular request to God. And the request is that he might sift or winnow Peter, to do to him as what is done in, after the harvest and the, the wheat is brought in and shaken up in the air in order to separate the actual heads of grain from the chaff that is worthless. This useful grain and the worthless chaff, we want to separate these things. And friends, this gives us some sort of clue as to the nature of what's going on. The nature of these trials and these temptations, they indeed separate the true wheat from the false chaff in spiritual terms. There must be some sort of movement. There must be some sort of violence because ordinarily they're there all together and and you cannot see the difference because they're lying on the ground. And what you do is you throw it up in the air. And again and again you throw it up in the air. And in this violence, in this disturbance, then it becomes apparent because of the activity, the behavior of these two different kinds of material. The behavior of the chaff is that it's light and that it it blows away in the wind. The behavior of the wheat, the real wheat, is that it's heavy, it has weight, and therefore it falls down and is collected. Friends, that's, that gives you an idea of what's going on here. And it would seem a strange thing, by the way, that Satan could make any such request. Here he is. He's making, Satan has asked. And the, our, our response might be, well, why is the Lord listening to him? Why is he allowed to make such requests? But we know such thing, such thing has happened in, in the history of Scripture. We know it, as it did in Job. Job 1.8. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. He is speaking well of his servant, and Satan stands up to accuse in the blaspheme. Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, so many things could be said on this. 
But as an aside, it is, a, it is strange enough that it's happened at all. But it's even stranger that the interaction was so cordial. But, beloved, that is what an interaction between any creature and the living God must be. Because there is no threat to God. Yes, we understand that God and Satan are enemies. But let's not imagine that they're at all equal. It's not like that. There is no threat to God. He could at any moment end Satan's existence. He could at any moment send Satan immediately to the lowest part of the lake of fire. And there's not the slightest thing that Satan could do it. And Satan knows that. And so the interaction happens cordially. But now back to the substance of it. Satan accuses Job of being mercenary. The only reason why he fears God is because of the wealth that he gets from it, the privilege that he gets from it. And let's just see now, Lord, what happens when his circumstances are changed. And is it possible... Is it possible that the issue is pretty much the same here in Luke chapter 22? I think it is. I think it is. Satan has just successfully demonstrated that one of the Lord's disciples is so mercenary, he's willing to sell out his Lord for all of 30 pieces of silver. That is absolutely nothing compared to the wealth that Job had. Absolutely nothing. His contention is... You know what, Lord, is not just Judas. I'm pretty certain it's Peter, too. He doesn't really fear the Lord. He doesn't really have faith in Christ. Give me half a chance and I'll demonstrate it to you. I'm going to throw him up into the air and you'll see him float away as chaff. Because that's all he is. Give me a chance. We'll see. And my friends, I want you to know that Satan's request concerning Job was granted. I know that you could read this and you might get the mistaken impression that it wasn't, but it was. You could read along and you could say, Simon, Simon, Satan has, has requested of you that he can sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And you could say, ah, then it's not going to happen. Satan's request is denied. Denied. But it's not like that. No, we know that he is in fact sifted because we know the rest of the story. We've read this gospel. He ends up denying Christ three times. Just like the Lord has said right in in our own text. It leaves no question whatsoever. He will be sifted. He will end up denying Christ. Jesus is not saying that it won't happen. He he is assuming that it will happen. And beloved, that means he understands that the Father has already granted Satan's request. He has asked for it. And he has gotten what he requested. You'll get to sift Peter like wheat. Why? Why? Well... Beyond Job, we have what's in Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led up by, by who? By Satan? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit himself leading the Son of God 
into the wilderness in order for the specific purpose of being tempted by Satan to be sifted as wheat. It's no strange thing then that he would permit this disciple also to be sifted as wheat. The devil is being used by God to test his servants and that is a good thing. You know, Sometimes I find some bureaucratic requirements in this country rather burdensome. But you know that we have to, every year, have the, this, the, the, the electrical equipment, this amplifier and whatnot, tested, pat-tested, so that we can be sure that the place won't burn down, something like that. Well, you know, what they do is we pay them good money to come stress-test this equipment, it sees what happens if there's, a, in essence, it simulates a fault electorally and see what, what will happen. Is it going to work? Will it, do, will it behave as it should under those kind of circumstances? And when it does, they put a little sticker on it. And we say, thank you very much for coming and testing our equipment. That is Satan's function. He comes to test the servants of the Lord. And even though he comes with the expectation that every one of us is going to fail, the hopeful expectation, the the wishful thinking that we're going to fail, and he has his whole series of, of red fail stickers ready to put on our forehead, unfortunately, even despite him, his intentions, he ends up putting green pass stickers on us who actually believe. And that's to the glory of God. This is to the glory of God. Satan made a request, and it was granted. Secondly, Christ makes a request. Verse 32, I, But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. It's another request to the Father. A little different. It has a different heart behind it. And let me say, first of all, that this is also business as usual for the Savior. If we can say business as usual for, for Satan is to blaspheme and to accuse, so it is business as usual for the Savior to intercede. It is not unusual for Christ to intercede for his people. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is his great business now, as he sits at the right hand of the Father. He has lived in this world. He has upheld the, the word of God. He has upheld the law perfectly. He has suffered. He has also died. He has also risen. What remains of his work and what he is continually given to do His daily occupation, without ceasing, is to make intercession for us. And his intercession in this case is that Peter, not that Peter should not be sifted. Keep that in mind. That's not what he says. But I prayed for you that you not be sifted. That is not the prayer. But I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. That's the thing. It had in the case of Judas. He had made an outward show of following Jesus, but soon enough we see that it was false. 
the inspector came around and, and put him under a little stress. He said, here's 30 pieces of silver. And he took it. Failed. What about Peter's faith? That great profession that he made in Matthew 16. Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Is that going to stand? Will that faith hold? Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And that is true for every true profession of faith. Everyone who has ever said those words with, with faith their heart and soul, that was a gift of the Father. They didn't come up with it on their own. And because it was bestowed upon them by the Father, then we know that, that it will always be there. Nothing, no circumstances can take that away. Jesus says only that he has prayed for Peter that it would not fail. And the assumption is that his prayer would certainly be answered. That's the That's the assumption. That's made clear as he goes on to say, and when you have returned to me. What is it's assuming? It's assuming his faith would be uh, sifted. It's assuming also that it would momentarily stumble. But also that it wouldn't fail. It wouldn't fail in the sense of a permanent apostasy from the Christian faith because it is certain that he will return to Christ. He would stumble. For a moment, rather than professing Christ. You see, that's the nature of this. The wonderful thing about Peter thus far, the showpiece of Peter, is his wonderful profession in Matthew 16. And now, now what's going to happen? Is he going to profess faith when it really matters? And the answer is no. He's going to stumble. The sifting would be that strong. But in the end, that he would also return And he would not prove to be like Judas. Because the test isn't over with that little moment, you see. The test is what happens. As the wind thrown, yes, thrown up in the air. And for a moment, sometimes the chaff and the wheat look about the same as they're there in the air. Under this this disturbance. But what happens next as the wind blows? Where do they land? Peter lands right back where he began. In the arms of the Lord Jesus, professing that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Christ's request is answered. How, how terrible it would be if we imagined that Satan's request was answered and the Lord's, Lord Jesus' request was denied. Of course, that's not the case. It's answered. But he knows that it will be. It has been. And when you have returned to me, then what? Strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren because in the end it's not a pointless exercise. It's not a pointless exercise. It's not just, you see, for Satan it would be. His object is merely to point out that which is false. And he has no positive good in in mind at all. But in fact, despite his evil intentions, there will be good that comes from this testing, from this shifting this sifting, because he's going to be able to strengthen his brethren. Peter, in his proud strength, could not offer anything to the brethren. You understand that? Nothing. In his boastfulness and his, his foolhardiness, there's nothing that he could offer to the brethren. He can't strengthen them. 
But the humbled Peter, in all of his weakness, can, can impart strength to them. You think of John 21, 15. When they had eaten breakfast, Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. <laughs> the fact that he could say that. I'm still here. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Strengthen the brethren. Impart something good. Give them something, Peter. Now that you have withstood this trial, now indeed that your faith has been demonstrated, the reality, yes, the weakness of you and your own strength, it's been demonstrated. But of the reality that I've upheld you, now you have something to offer. Feed my lambs. Christ's request is surely also granted. His faith would not fail. And in the end, he would impart much strength to the brethren. But to go back in time, as it were, let's return to Peter. To these, what he then says in verse, for a third point, Peter's boast. He says in verse 33, but he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Once again, Peter is not really listening to the Lord. Rather than accepting these things, that's his problem. He's not really listening. He's not just accepting these things. When he says, Peter, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. No, you're not. Far be it from you. He says, Peter, you're going to deny. You know, your, your faith is, uh, you know, uh, Satan's desire to sift you. And, you know, when you return. He, didn't, he, he understands what's being said here. He understands that the Lord has just foretold, prophesied the fact that he's going to stumble. He said, Lord, no. No, no, no. I'm ready to go with you. Prison and to death. This is not going to happen. Beloved, I hope you can see now the necessity of this sifting. The Lord speaks to him. And his first response to the word of God is to push it back. This is the word of God. He is like you. The Lord has been speaking to him. And he now has a choice of what to do with that word. And at the moment he is deciding that he's not going to listen to it. He's holding it as bay. He is making his arguments against it. And he says, no. No, no, no. You are wrong about this one, Lord. What do you think needs to happen? The Lord loves this man, Peter. We know that. But it's very clear that the medicine for him is to be sifted, his trial. Peter thinks he's strong. His weakness is his pride. And you know that's going to be helped after he denies Christ. It's not going to be much spiritual pride after that. He'll never be, again be able to go before the others and say, look at me, Peter. He will be humbled to the dust. His weakness is self-sufficiency. That will be helped after he crumbles before the servant girl. It will be helped. His self-sufficiency will be gone. And his resistance to the word of God, fighting him back against the word rather than simply receiving it and humbly obeying it, that too will be gone. Not perfectly. No, kind of rises up again later in the word of God. 
little incident involving Paul. But it, for the most part, it'll be gone. When he repents of all that and sees how foolish he has been and is simply clinging to Christ in abject poverty of spirit, completely aware of how unworthy he is, even to be belong to the Lord's people, even to be received back into his presence, let alone being a leader, he then will be in a position to serve and to bless and to impart strength to the brethren. <coughs> Peter's boast shows us why these things need be. Well, this is Peter's sifting. The applications are many. And the first one is, what matters is faith. Okay. As the Lord Jesus prays for the most important things for us, we know that his prayers for us are always answered. And the thing that he was praying for is his faith. Not that he would not be sifted. Not that he would be made stronger in himself but that his faith would not fail. And the lesson for us is that the crucial thing is your faith. That is the crucial thing. In any system, there are things that can fail and some things that can't. In a car, there are many systems. And some of them can fail. The radio can stop working. And you can still drive it. There are other systems, in fact, that can fail and you can still use it. But in this system of the Christian faith, in your system spiritually, there is only one thing that cannot fail, and that is your faith. Because, friends, we will stumble occasionally. We will fall into sin. We might even fall into error. Maybe even for a moment, in such a moment, to deny Christ. The crucial thing, the thing that cannot fail, is our faith. And we must remind ourselves of that. And friend, if you're here not a believer in Christ, if you're outside of this faith and these things are are strange to your ears, I want you to understand that too. The the, The story of Peter should tell you that Christianity is not about strength. Christianity is not about being strong enough to do it on your own. It is the opposite of that. It is about receiving Christ in humble faith, in clinging to him rather than yourself. That's the essence of it. We know that we can't do it. That's the whole thing. And Peter, absolutely, you, if, you, if you read this story and you know what later happens, that Peter then denies Christ and your thought is, I don't know what he's doing. In any other religion, he would not merely be demoted, he would be expelled. And you're right. In any other religion, that is exactly what would have happened. This religion is a religion of grace. We don't earn our salvation. It is earned for us by Christ. And all we have to do is believe. All we have to do is choose him. Rather than the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's what this is all about. What matters is faith. Secondly, we should be encouraged by Christ's office of intercession. Christ intercedes for us, and that is a wonderful thing. 
Now, I want you to understand, it's not just for Peter, one of the foremost disciples. It is for all of his people. What would happen to any of us if Christ doesn't intercede for us? What, what, for instance, happens to those in the world, not part of the Christian church, not part of the elect of God, whom Christ does not intercede for? Well, every time that Satan asks for them, he gets them. And no one's there to save them. And their faith does fail because they didn't have it in the first place. Satan gets to sift them. Satan gets moreover to lead them into darkness because he is the prince of this world. He has them. If, Satan does, or if, if Christ does not intercede for them, they are Satan's and they are in his dungeon. They live in that dungeon until the day they die and they're all there to follow Satan into hell with him. Everything depends on Christ's intercession on our behalf. Apart from it, we would have nothing. Apart from it, in our weakness, we would not even have our faith. Please don't think that faith is a work of, of yourself. That's okay, well, I can't work for my, my, my salvation, but I can. I'm strong enough to have some faith in Christ. And that is not it. Apart from Christ, not only his death on the cross, but also his intercession for you, we would be nowhere. We would be as Judas. He didn't say that he interceded for Judas, does he? Apart from Christ's intercession, we would have nothing and we would be soon enough with the deceiver himself in hell. The, larger, the shorter catechism asks, how doth Christ execute the office of a priest? And the answer is Christ executed the office of a priest in his once offering up of himself a sacrifice. That's the cross. That's his dying to make to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God and in making continual intercession for us. That's the part we often forget. We know that he died for us, but he now he still lives in order to make intercession for us. And it's just as important, just as crucial. The larger catechism, you might be asking, what are we talking about when he, we talk about this intercession, this, this role, this ministry of intercession? The larger catechism gives us a wonderful answer. Christ makes intercession by his appearing in our nature, meaning he still got his human body. He hasn't given that up. He is still the God-man. In our nature continually before the Father in heaven, in the merit of his obedience, what does he have in his hands? He's got his obedience, his perfect obedience, and sacrifice on earth, declaring his will to have it all, to apply to all believers, answering all accusations against them, and procuring for them quiet of conscience, notwithstanding daily failings, access with boldness to the throne of grace and acceptance of their persons and services. What a beautiful thing. I hope that fills you with confidence when you think about it. Notwithstanding daily failings. What, what prevails in this story is not Peter. His failing was the most egregious imaginable. And friends, that's us. We're like Peter. What prevails in this story is the intercession of Christ, is the grace of Christ, the grace of the, the living God seen in the intercession of Christ and knowing that the Father answers it. But he always does. He always does. What else can he do? If Christ had something else in his hand, even still, what are the, what are the chances of the Father turning down his own beloved Son? 
But if that were ever even a, a remote possibility, what does he pick up and what does he have in his hand? His perfect obedience and his sacrifice. Reality that he laid down his life. We need to remember Christ's intercession for us. Thirdly, we need to learn spiritual humility. I hope this is one also of the main lessons that we learn, spiritual humility. Peter learned it. It's a useful lesson for him. And I think if you think that you could never fall into serious sin, I want you to know that you could. If you think that you could never fall into error, you could. If you think you could never deny Christ, you could. And I speak to those whom I would consider and many others would consider to be very strong Christians. Some of the very strongest Christians in this, this region. But if, friends, if we ever think that we are above it, that these things could never happen to us, watch out. Peter thought just like you before he fell. And let me say, when I ask that question, if you think that you could not fall, I mean this. If you think that there's something particular about your personality, something particular about your experience, your qualifications that makes you somehow more resistant to sin, more resistant to error, more resistant to apostasy than the others around you, then that's the problem. I'm saying you need to forsake that. And you need to learn some spiritual humility. But now if you think, I know I'm not going to, in the end fall because I have the Lord interceding for me. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. We need to learn both of those things. Moving quickly on, fourthly, we need to know about spiritual warfare. Do you understand that Satan is still around? I mean, really, even as we're reading through this, this, this gospel, it's not so long ago that he was mentioned. I mean, it's really, really close. But already we say, oh, there's Satan in this story again. I thought he was gone. Well, no, he's not quite gone. Okay, You understand that the only time that, we, that Satan's really, really gone is when we turn to the end, almost the end of Scripture, uh, all the way to one of the last chapters in Revelation, and he finally gets what's coming to him. He finally is judged and cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. That was created for him and his angels. That's what hell was created for. And then you don't have to worry about him. But until then, you do. Until then, you do. And that's why we need spiritual warfare. That's why we need what Ephesians chapter 6 says, the whole armor of God. That's why we need to understand that our condition in this life at the moment is we haven't come to the end of it. A story of, of somebody in our recent conflicts, I think in this case Afghanistan, and uh, he was an American football player. And in American football, you wear this helmet and if you're hurt, if you're injured on a play, then you go sit down and take off your helmet. And he, out of force of habit, had gotten shot and, and done that, just out of force of habit. Oh, well, I guess I'm out of the play. But guess what? The Taliban didn't stop shooting. Um, and he had to quickly correct his, his mistake. Friends, that's us. Uh, Satan doesn't stop shooting. He is continually throwing those darts our way. And just because we have passed one test, 
despite ourselves, because Christ has interceded for us, that doesn't mean that there won't be another one. He's still there. He's still around. And these kind of trials and temptations are going for the same good purposes, that they happen to the Lord Jesus, that they happen to Peter. For the same good purposes, they will continue to happen until that end that we know is coming. So, yes, he can do us harm. Now, we should be very thankful that he's on a chain. We can be very thankful that he has to ask nicely to do anything at all to any of us. But we know he's around. You know? I think we all have mixed feelings about Ofsted. Uh, I don't think we have a warm and fuzzy feeling. Many of us are involved in education in one way or another. We're not, we're, these are the, educa- the inspectors, the government inspectors that come to inspect schools. Nobody has a particularly warm and fuzzy, but you know, their existence is a useful thing. Keeps things on our toes, doesn't it? Makes sure that we do the things that we ought to be doing. Because we never know when they might be showing up. This is spiritual warfare. You never know when that next trial is coming. Are you going to be in a position that your faith not fail? You being fed the means of grace. Are you clinging to Christ in faith right now? You know what? The, funny enough, there's this thing called the Lord's Prayer. You sometimes neglect it. But have you ever noticed that one of the elements of it is, and lead us not into temptation? Isn't that a funny thing? The Lord himself had been led by the Holy Spirit into temptation, and yet the model prayer that he gives for us, the thing that he says, you ought to be praying this, says, lead us not into temptation. Why? Because it has to do, he knows how weak we are. He doesn't want us to fall. And he's saying, look, my beloved, pray that you enter not into temptation." And this is what we need to do because we're not that strong. Now, we, 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 we rely on the Lord's intercession. If we are sifted, if some great trial comes, we can only say, Lord, intercede and uphold us. But we don't welcome it. We don't say, bring it on. We say, Lord, lead us not into temptation and help us to stand if it comes. Spiritual warfare. Fifthly and finally, strengthen your brethren, because that actually is probably the most direct application that the Lord had for these words to Peter. He, again, he could have not said a single thing of any of this. He didn't have to say this to Peter. He did. And the point of it, the application of it at the end of that sermon was strengthen your brethren. This is what I want you to do on the other end of all this. Everything was going to happen. And at the end of it, Strengthen your brethren. And friends, this is exceedingly needful in our day. Exceedingly needful. I don't know why we think that one another is so strong. Sometimes we do think that. I talk to you, I visit you, and you say, I'm really weak. And I'm in a terrible situation. Not like those others at the church. Everyone's just great. No, they're not. Nope, nope, they're not. None of them. They're not great. Okay? Do you know what that means? Strengthen your brethren. It means that every one of us, we are weak. And you ought to assume not that we are Peter's before they fall. Or Judas even. Remember, he was so above, above suspicion. They thought he was so wonderful. They didn't even think. Even though the Lord had, in essence, pointed him out. 
They still thought it could be him. No, we don't need to think like that. We think with humility, and we assume that the people around us are as weak and perpetually on the verge of collapse as Peter and, and you and I. And you need to strengthen their hands. Right? We should be on the lookout for somebody to strengthen. We should be praying for someone. We should be interceding for them. Not under the, under the assumption that everything is wonderful and they couldn't possibly fall, but rather on the presumption that they're weak and they need to be strengthened. Do you think, do you think the Lord said that for no reason? You know, as you say, Peter, I know my sheep, they are, they are really strong. And just for style's sake, uh, act like you're strengthening them. Is that what he said? No. He knows his sheep more than you know yourself. He knows you're weak. And what he does is he tells Peter and others like him, I want you to help them. I want you to feed them. I want you to strengthen them. Ministerial students especially for you. I want you to feed them. I want you to strengthen them. But for all of us in the body of Christ, strengthen your brethren. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what can we say to these things except to ask forgiveness for our pride? We are not much different than Peter. We think that there is something innate in us that will enable us to survive in any circumstance. That no matter what the, what, what the sifting might be, that we will never fall into serious sin. We will never fall into error. We will never deny your name. Lord, we, forgive. We, we ask your forgiveness for these things. We repent of it. And Lord, we pray that not only would we say that we understand our weakness, but we would act like it. That, Lord, we would consider the intercession of Christ to be the most precious thing in the world, and we would think on it constantly. We ourselves would pray for one another as we should. We would intercede. And we would seek to strengthen the weak hands and arms that are falling down, that we would seek to support our brothers and sisters, knowing just how weak they are. Heavenly Father, we pray that we not forget that this spiritual warfare is real. Yes, you have your good purposes, and we recognize and we confess your good purposes for why Satan is still around and why he can still do his harm. Lord, how we pray that you would lead us not in temptation. Do you enable us at all times to be having the, the whole armor of God? And that, Lord, you would glorify yourself by upholding us that we would be found in the end to be as true wheat and that our faith would not fail. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.